Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The amazing spider talk, the amazing spider talk, come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Marchinacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals don't count. Well, thanks for joining us for a special episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. And if you want to learn everything that we know about Spidey, why not subscribe to our show starting back with the first season? Today on the show, Dan and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Number 41, Legacy Issue Number 842, which is written by Nick Spencer with art by Ryan Otley. That was released on March 11th, 2020. What's March 11th, Mark, uh, the the day that work was canceled. Yes, we are we are reporting here deep from within the coronavirus scare. Just time stamp this review. And we're talking about, you know, I guess it's Spider-Man and the Lifeline Tablet Saga 2. And I feel like I'm on a bit of a lifeline here. Mark, I thought this issue was really solid. It, if there was a format for a Nick Spencer issues, this is kind of the prototypical format. It's like some A story with a flashback embedded through Silver Age history that eventually catches up and gives us a kind of modern twist on the story. You know, this is as prototypical Nick Spencer as I think it comes. Yeah, I mean, I think you could check some boxes in terms of like things that have been part of the better Nick Spencer stories that we've had so far. Things like Boomerang, which you cl- the guy clearly just loves writing in any in any capacity. And I think having Ryan Otley here, you know, for whatever reason, whether he's helping to push the narrative or not, I think just kind of brings a different kind of illumination to Spencer's writing. So, but yes, we're, we're, we get narrative from Spider-Man slash Peter's perspective. I mean, there's a lot lot to like about this issue. It was, a, it was a fun issue. I mean, you know, I still kind of wonder what's going on in terms of some of the larger plot threads going on. But even then, like we kind of address at least some earlier big time stories that kind of start coming to a head here, which is which is good, too. So, yeah, I agree. This is this was a lot of fun, this comic. Yeah. And really not much happens if you look at like on the time scale, like the story starts with Spider-Man and Boomerang fighting all the vermin. And it ends with them like still kind of fighting the vermin and Gog appearing, which we'll, we'll get to all of that. So most of this issue is spent in like background exposition things, but it's all very fun. 
And I think for me, the real appeal of this comic is like, finally, we're starting to see all of these stories start to converge. I mean, like we don't get any kindred here, but we do get stuff related to kindred that fills in some of the kind of gap in motivations for some of the characters related to that story. And it starts to give me some faith that like, oh, all of these things are related somehow and working towards some greater purpose. Getting some clarity on exactly what was going on with Kingpin and Boomerang here was a huge shift forward. I mean, of course, like, I do like the plot line that was introduced here. At the same token, I'm kind of like, wait, why were we kind of hiding this for so long? I mean, was there anything about this that you felt needed to be kept close to the vest for larger storytelling purposes? Or, uh, or am I missing something here? No, I don't know why this needed to go on for a year and a half. You and I even joked, like, clearly this is the lifeline tablet that Boomerang has or is after. And yet, you know, here's the exact reveal we suspected it was, which is like the it's the same as like the Craven thing from very early on in, in the story. But like even more decompressed than that. I mean, it's the kind of thing where it's like, don't give it a mystery if the resolution of that mystery is what you think it is in the very first place. Just give it to us then. And, you know, we're, we're what, like, I probably like a dozen or so issues into the storyline with things preceding this with Boomerang and Spider-Man and all that stuff, you know, I feel like builds, right? Like we got the great relationship between Peter and Boomerang established in the bar with no name story. I don't know if the syndicate element of this was really all that essential like let's just have gotten to this earlier it's not even like they put like a fake mustache on the lifeline tablet or something you know like like we got with some reveals in the past <laughs> no i mean but at the same token it was somewhat predictable but it, like with predictability also comes logic and i feel some semblance of good storytelling and that like okay now that we know finally what we kind of we're guessing all along, like the story can move forward in a, in a rational way, I guess. I don't I mean, I know it's comics and nothing about superhero comics is truly rational, but like, I feel like, okay, you know, this wasn't so far out of left field in terms of trying to like outsmart us in terms of a reveal that we could just tell the story and have a good time within it. And, and like seeing Spider-Man and Boomerang with this current dynamic to me is a good time. Like I, I just enjoy the the banter and the jokes and Spencer just writes some awesome boomerang jokes. Like it's really funny stuff. We get the okay boomers in here, which I think was bound to happen at some point. I mean, you know, that's just what they call him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I liked a lot of the boomerang backstory stuff. I thought it was a little convenient that this guy just kind of runs out of the crowd, but like convenience, that's comics, you know, like, Peter works at the Daily Bugle, if only just for con convenience, right? Like, so like I I'm I'm okay with that. I, I you know I like that this old timer guy, like you know, there's that records department that he works in that has him kind of like scooping out the Lifeline tablet and stuff like that. Did you catch what any of those artifacts were in his room? It's kind of one of those things where you're like, I know there's an Easter egg in here, and I could only really get one or two of them. You know, I didn't I didn't look super closely as you did, but then I, I, I have been seeing on Twitter some of the the Easter eggs that you found and they're good. Well, you're good at Easter eggs, though, Dan. You're like the Easter egg king here, man. Yeah. So there's like a genie lamp with like like smoke coming out of it. And on the front of it, it's like green and purple, which should already send a flag up for most people. But there's like the symbol from the front of the goblin glider on the like genie lamp. I don't know if this is for sure, but it seems almost too obvious to me 
you know, we had talked about this, I think, when we originally talked about the Green Goblin in season one, which is that Stan's original idea for the Green Goblin was that he wasn't somebody. He was a demon that came from a sarcophagus. And so I have to imagine this is a nod to like Stan's original vision for the character. I mean, why use that symbol and those colors if that's, you know, not what it was. Although like I, in the back of my mind, I think there's like an animated version of the green goblin where he is actually a genie. That might be the 1960s cartoon. I couldn't find any evidence of that. And I was not really that keen on rewatching all of those. So if I'm missing that, somebody let me know, but like, that's what I imagine this is a reference to. I definitely think it, it's a reference to the original lore of the Green Goblin for sure. I mean, whether it, it, there's there is more to it than that, that that remains to be seen. And I'm just I'm like looking at the visuals again. I can't put my finger on anything specifically, but knowing Spencer and the deep dives he's been doing with Spider-Man history over the better part of the last year and a half, I, I, I think there's probably some other stuff in there that we're missing. Yeah, one of them kind of looks like the Puma's necklace, that like toothy necklace that he wears. And another one looks like like Horus, but that doesn't have anything to do with like Spider-Man. So maybe it was just like, you know, they threw a bunch of things in there and one of them was meant to be kind of a fun little Easter egg. But either way, I thought that was fun. And it was kind of neat to see this old man with Doctor Strange's powers like imbue Boomerang with like the memory of the lifeline tablet. Like that's all kinds of weird stuff, but okay. Comics. I'll buy all of that stuff. Like we were alluding to the lifeline tablet has been revealed as, as kind of the, the MacGuffin here that, that the Kingpin is after and that boomerang has lifeline tablet. Dan season two of amazing spider talk. We talk about the whole lifeline tablets to lifeline tablet saga. Didn't we, Dan? Yeah, we did, but we didn't talk about Spider-Man Lifeline, which at the time I thought was a reprint of the Lifeline tablet saga, but it's not. It's this whole separate story that I recently checked out and is really quite excellent. And I'm kind of kicking myself that I hadn't known about this before, but it's a really, really good storyline. And there's like, you know, an allusion to it here in this comic where there's like the lizard and hammerhead. And it's a really weird story, but really excellent Spider-Man story. You know, it culminates in Hammerhead drinking a new formula from the Lifeline tablet and becoming like a god for like 30 seconds. He even learned Spider-Man's secret identity and offers to bring Uncle Ben and Gwen Stacy and Captain Stacy back from the dead. It's really crazy, but it's actually really cool. And, you know, it's not on Marvel Unlimited. So I actually went out and bought all three issues of it. And it's really, I mean, the artwork is beautiful. So if you haven't checked out Spider-Man Lifeline, use this comic as an opportunity to like, I don't know, find it wherever you can. Who is the creative team on that one, Dan? Yeah, it's Fabian uh, Nicieza. The penciler is this guy, Steve Rude. And oh my God, this guy is like Marcos Martin levels good. Like he is a perfect fit for Spider-Man. And like, boy, I would love to see this guy kind of come back and do more Spidey Spidey books. So Fabian Nicieza and Steve Rude, really good combo. Like, uh, why don't these guys have a long-running Spider-Man book? The, the, either way, this thing is excellent. And, you know, it's classic Nick Spencer to dig that up and bring it into mainstream continuity. There's something about the Lifeline tablet. Like, it's almost like anything that was created in the Silver Age 
is, you know, now has to be an essential part of the character. And I don't necessarily disagree with it because when this thing was announced in this recent issue to be the lifeline tablet, it was kind of like going back to a safe place. I was like, oh, okay, this feels like Spider-Man all of a sudden. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, not for nothing, it also justifies my uh, insistence that we talk about that story from the Silver Age back in season two, you know, like all about proving me right. You know what I mean? Like we we knew it was co- <laughs> I knew it was going to come back again. I just knew it. <laughs> Even though it was banished to another dimension of, of all things. So so there you go. Pshaw, come on. <laughs> that's that's never stopped Spider-Man before. So, you know, speaking of never stopping Spider-Man before, the Kingpin is in this issue. And I thought, like, he was actually kind of scary in this book where he hasn't really been. He's been more of a joke recently. And here I thought, like, man, like, Otley, first of all, there's that, like, close-up of him just, like, like ugly sneering that, like, is really creepy. But, like, hear him using his mayoral powers to, like, threaten insubordinates instead of crushing their heads I thought was actually really effective he was threatening to crush it well he was in my old days I would have but like to me I took that as like I could always return to that person you know what I mean like, yeah <laughs> I mean no I agree I mean like it like the, he he's using I don't even know if I would say he was been portrayed as a joke but there's been something kind of toothless about him it's like he's he's like this he's he really has just been kind of just like this empty authority figure for the most part in this book for the better part of the last year and a half. And I feel like, you know, there's some actual menace here again, you know, because like, you know, this this guy, this guy wants what he wants and will stop at nothing to get it. And that's Kingpin in a nutshell. You know what I mean? Like he's 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 power hungry and, you know, will stop at nothing for for the accumulation of power. I feel like Nick Spencer's version of the Kingpin is like aiming to be ultimate Kingpin. And I don't feel like he's ever gotten to the kind of like sheer menace that that character kind of like created. Cause that character was far more political and than the Kingpin is. And like, well, he literally crushed the guy's head on, on page, you know, in that great learning curve series that you and I talked about back in our essentials series. But you know, this is the first time where I felt like the evil of that character really came out. Why do we think uh, Kingpin wants the Lifeline tablet again? What is he after here? I mean, I think it's finally made truly explicit, which is like, you know, he's trying to bring Vanessa back from the dead, which is kind of a long running, you know, Kingpin thing. I don't know if he's used the hand to do it before or whatever. Like he's always kind of, you know, like angling to bring Vanessa back in, in some way. And this kind of confirms our whole discussion that we had about that uh, free comic book day issue where Kindred and, and Kingpin like, you know, faced up against each other. And, you know, we kind of, you know, assumed that what they were talking about was, you know, the reason they knew each other is because Kingpin was trying to make a deal to bring Vanessa back. And, you know, just kind of further solidifies the power set of Kindred and what he can do. I mean, we just saw him, bring the Sin Eater back from the dead, it seems. This demonic character of, of Kindred just continues to grow, even if he's not on the page. You do kind of wonder at what point King Prince is going to stop trying to bring back a dead wife, but hey, you know, like comics, baby, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, Mark, I had a question for you. Like, there, there's a point where they go to see the Mets in this game, right? They're on this, like, scavenger hunt. I don't think it's explicitly the Mets, but I think we can imagine... I mean, you know. if it's boom, well, Boomerang did pitch for the Mets, so I mean, that would. Uh, although, would he be banned from the stadium if he pitched for them and got kicked out of baseball? I don't know. You know, like yeah. Uh, well, he's a big celebrity now, so maybe they're like reveling in 
you know, their their ex pitcher now being like a big hot shot. You know, Spidey runs into the bathroom to get changed and comments on how gross the bathrooms are there. Accurate or not accurate? The new Mets stadium at City Field, I, I feel like, I, I mean, look, a, ba- a, ba- a stadium slash arena bathroom is never a pleasant place but like it's not like the old Shea Stadium bathrooms you know you know the Mets old stadium which like you know like you would walk into that and you would basically have to like roll your if you well if it was a cool cooler weather game you'd have to roll your pants up to make sure that you weren't like slopping through water what do you think about this whole kind of like treasure hunt scavenger hunt around the city thing between Spider-Man and Boomerang it's fun I I I mean I, I I'm not sure if it's like if it's anything more than a device just to have sil- more silly adventures, but I was, I was group. I was digging it. Were you, were you okay with it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Although my, like in the back of my head, I was thinking, where's Ross Andrew when you need him, you know, like Otley does some great stuff here, but like, I felt like there was more of an opportunity to get like into really obscure New York territory, like putting stuff in the statue of Liberty. Okay, fine. But like, I, I want to see like obscure New York, you know, especially for someone you know, who's basing a, a book in New York City. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of light fun. Uh, but in the back of my head, I was like, Ross Andrew would have killed this. By the end, we get a very special appearance. And I, I don't even remember what my imitation of him sounds like, so I'm not even going to bother to do it right now. But 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 the great Gog is back, Dan. <laughs> I was a Gog at this. <laughs> waka waka. Yeah, there you go. I, 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 I was really surprised. I mean, when this thing goes back from another dimension, you know, you know, I hadn't thought about Gog in quite a while. You know, I mean, he. I had forgotten his history. So it turns out that way back in volume one of the Spider-Man book, the Todd McFarlane launch book issues 22 and 23, those are Eric Larson drawn books. Gog was found by Dr. Octopus and the Sinister Six in another dimension. And for a short period of time, he became the sixth member of the team, but he was put back there by the end of the issue by Mr. Fantastic after he was shrunken down. So he's kind of been in another dimension for a while now, since I guess the 90s. So here he is. Gog is back. And with him comes this lifeline tablet. So I guess by sheer happenstance, Doctor Strange banished it to Gog's dimension. I mean, I guess he's pretty pissed. Wouldn't you be if you, you know, were one of the few sentient beings killed by Spider-Man, sent to another dimension, and then had the lifeline tablet show up in your dimension? I mean, come on. I mean, it's really random, and I wonder if he's going to operate as anything more than just like a punching bag. But like, because I mean, what do you what do you do with Gog? I, he's not really a character rife with like dramatic potential. But like, okay, he's visually splashy, and I'm sure Otley is going to draw the hell out of him. That was a real surprise, Gog. I don't really know where this story is going. I'm guessing like we're going to have like the lifeline tablet bouncing around because like Kingpin suggests or his henchmen suggest that like they don't need to chase after it anymore because it's like it's coming to them or something like that. So like, you know, this is how all these lifeline tablet sagas end up is it's a bunch of different parties who want it. It bounces around. Eventually someone drinks a, you know, a formula from it and it destroys them. And we'll see if this one plays out to the same formula as before. Time will tell, Dan. Time will tell. Any, anything else you want to mention about this issue? Want to talk some more about Otley here? Or, yeah, uh, sure. Ryan Otley, like, he's back. He needs to be doing more issues if, of this book, if, if at all humanly possible. You know, I, I pointed out the Kingpin face thing that I thought was really beautiful. But, like, 
I mean, this guy is just top of his game. Like he could draw pages full of vermin for me every week if if he wants to. Yeah, I was about to say. I mean, we 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 opened with all these all these vermin in the sewers, which is just like you know very vintage Otley in terms of what you what you want to get out of Otley in a Spider Man book. I mean, you know, like I don't even necessarily give give too many hoots about vermin, but I I I do when it's Otley drawing them. So he just sells everything. You know, like it's very classically structured, but like everything is like perfect. You can tell there's just so much consideration about how he guides your eye through the page and, you know, how how much space he gives stuff. I mean, I'm never thinking about pacing in an Otley story. It, it, it reminds me of John Romita Jr. Like, I, I, you know, people like to like make fun of John Romita Jr. for all of his characters looking like a thumb. You know, like they're just kind of like lacking detail. And I think Otley has him kind of beat on that level. Like, I think his stuff is really detailed and really feels handcrafted. But like both of them are just master storytellers in terms of pacing and visual guidance. And, you know, I I always feel in good hands in a story with Otley at the helm. So let's go into our our grades. You know, I'll start off. I'm giving this thing a solid A minus. Oh, I was I was gonna give it a B plus. I mean, like I I I am almost there with you, but you know, just just not one hundred percent on the hump over the hump with you. But but this is this is the best single issue we've gotten in a while for sure. Yeah, I might be overgrading it, but like in terms of like starts to a storyline, like this is a really solid start. I mean, I don't think it's quite up there on like the first issue of Hunted, which I think was really like something we were really thrilled by. But like this is like you know, it, it, this feels like classic. Silver Age Spider-Man to me, which I think is what Nick Spencer's aiming for. For me, that it, that's a hit. You know, it's a, it's a it's like a like a first or second base hit. Also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed. So if you find yourself missing Dan and I, head on over there for hundreds of episodes to check out. Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews as they come out. Be sure to check out our sister show, The Untold Talks of Spider-Man as well. Plus, we've also got the amazing Spider-Slack community for you to join. Well, Mark, uh, if we wanted to follow all of your wonderful exploits online, wherever well, we do if, so. Well, if you want to see for yourself what you think of my book, you can still buy it. 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, wherever books are sold. And, of course, you can find me online on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. Dan, what about you? Yeah, you can find me online on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk if you haven't already followed me there. And it's never going to be nearly as important as the motto that is the heart and lifeblood of our show. Mark, what is that motto? Of course, that motto is, with great podcasts, there must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.